1: Welcome, welcome. This is our fifth season of Script to Screen, so we're very excited you're here tonight. Uh, Script to Screen examines a screenplay from the, uh, pers- from the perspective of writers, directors, and actors, and producers. Uh, our program, if everybody's not aware, Film Media Studies program, focuses on critical studies. So we're really, really happy that for our screenwriting series and our critical studies series, we got Trumbo about... <laughs> historical piece about a blacklisted screenwriter and the screenwriting process. I don't know if any dream movie could fall into our laps other than this. So we're going to dive right in. So we're going to be talking some communism. We're going to be talking some blacklisting and old Hollywood. And we're so, so excited to welcome director Jay Roach and writer John McNamara to the Polytheater stage.
2: Thank you, guys. Thank you.
1: Thank Thank you you. so much for coming.
2: Thanks, man. Thanks.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you you very much. Well, thank you. Screenwriter. Screenwriter. (laughs) Screenwriter. screenwriter. (laughs) Wow. I think they liked oh, wow. it oh, That's cool, <laughs> thank you the, uh, So John, really our first question is Did you honor Dalton Trumbo By sitting in a bathtub Writing the script on a typewriter <laughs> No
0: <laughs> I'm um, I, I, you know, I mostly write on my back um, Seriously I, I remember reading a, an article at Stephen Sondheim Who said the best way to write is on a couch with a pencil that you have to sharpen a lot. So you have to get up, but the couch allows you to fall asleep a lot. So, it's that, that, so that's how I write. Yeah, wow. yeah. If I, I think if I did it in the bathtub, I would drown.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite opening shot. I mean, that's so talk funny, about yeah. symbolizing who he was. Yeah. Know, and just, yeah, There's
0: It was that the opening shot. It's, it no, it wasn't a brilliant scripted that way, Piece of but, editing,
2: yeah. But uh, but he, we thought it would be good to have people. See either sign on or not based on how weird he was. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> if you if you like him in the bathtub, there's actually a statue of him in the bathtub uh, in Colorado. Uh, at in his, is it outside his hometown or mm. it's in, uh, is it in Boulder, where I think he yeah, went yeah. to college yeah, I think that's for right. a year? Yeah.
1: Uh, well, I think the conversation, of course, starts with the wonderful Bruce Cook biography. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, John, when you read that biography, what made you say, you know what, I want to write this Dalton Trumbo story?
0: Well, I, I actually knew, when I, went to, I went to New York University, and one of my professors was Ian McClellan Hunter, huh? who was portrayed by Alan Zutig in the movie. And one night, in order to suck up and try and get a good grade, I said to Mr. Hunter, gee, I love Roman Holiday, and he said, I did not write that. That was written by my good friend Dalton Trumbo. And I said, "Yeah, that name is familiar to me." He said, "Well, it should be," and he told me the story. In fact, the class that class was taught by Ring Lardner Jr., Academy Award uh, Woman of the Year, Academy Award MASH, did one year at Danbury Prison for contempt of Congress. Uh, Waldo Salt, Midnight Cowboy, Coming Home, and Ian Hunter. And they were wonderful, wonderful professors, and they all loved Trumbo. So I actually had a year of Trumbo stories from these guys. First hand. And then went out and bought a copy of Bruce's book. And I'm such a genius that I sat out for 30 years. <laughs> Literally, imagine me 30 years of, like, dating, moving, getting divorced, getting remarried, bookshelf, 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 house, apartment, house, apartment, house, apartment, house apartment. follows me around. One day, my friend Kevin Brown comes out from a meeting at my house and says to me, oh, I knew him. And I said, you knew him? Dalton Trumbo? He said, no, I knew Bruce Cook. Who's Dalton Trumbo? <laughs> <laughs> so I answered the question in a 15-minute recitative. And Kevin said to me, that's a movie. And I said, the hero's a communist. There's no sex. There's no action. It's period. And it's politics. And it takes place. hot how is it a movie? <laughs> And he said to me, you know, it's a great hero. It's a fantastic set of antagonists. The stakes could not be higher. It has that rarest thing. It's a true story with a happy ending. And I said, you mother... (laughs) And that was eight years ago. (laughs) And thank God I can now turn it over to Jay Roach, who I met three years ago. And Jay is the one who took a 120-page idea and made a 120-minute movie out of it.
1: That must be for you as a hero, Jay. I mean, you have a hero who is a communist but loves money. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he's a rebel, and he has all these different facets to him. Is that something mm-hmm. like, "Oh, this is my dream protagonist"?
2: Well, I I didn't see it that way. I, I just loved his writing. To be honest, I just yeah. I, I knew the movies. I'd grown up. I remember sitting at a drive-in in Albuquerque, New Mexico, watching the re-release in 1967 of Spartacus, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, going around the house whenever. My brothers would get in trouble. So I'm Spartacus. I'm you know, like it was just that movie had it was an amazing film and it had gladiators in it. And it was I didn't remember how beautifully written it was until recently I reacquainted myself with Roman Holiday, which is such mm. an incredibly beautiful, simple film. Audrey Hepburn's first film. But the thing that moved me the most about him were the letters he wrote from jail. To his family, to his to his uh, friends, to his enemies, Mm. (laughs) uh, sometimes, and they were because they were beautifully poetic and very serious sometimes, but very very funny sometimes too. Um, He wrote his son in college. Uh, He said, I'm sending you two books. One's about gambling. Don't tell your friends you have it. You'll be able to win a lot of money. (laughs) And the other one is about uh, sex. It was a sex education book, but it was called The Guilt of Sex or something. And And he said it's to help you deal with the guilt of things like masturbation, and he went into this crazy long thing about <laughs> you need this book. I, I, I grew up, I grew up so guilty, uh, you know, and you don't have to be. And I was like, this isn't that <laughs> He a, said to me
0: "I am not only an enthusiastic masturbator; I am an unrepentant one."
2: <laughs> <laughs> and he and he signed it. He said, he signed it. He said, uh, he signed it. Um, you know, you'll 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 always thank me for this book signed. The masturbator's masturbator, your father, Dalton Trumbo. <laughs> and I was like, that is that that same man writes Roman Holiday, and then has right. that range yeah. of of uh, wit and and passion. You know, and th- that's that's what hooked me. I knew it would be something a great actor would want to play because it's so com- he's so complex. He's so Contradictory and and beautifully driven, but also kind of flawed and obnoxious, you know. Uh, and I, anyway, I just thought that's 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 what I always I go in from the characters. Mm-hmm. I and mean, It was a great great story, and John had a great screenplay from the get go. But uh, but I needed to fall in love with the man, and I really mm-hmm. did. I We were saying mm-hmm. earlier, I miss him. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I you know I'm working on another film now. it was like every time I come in and watch it, and I see it through your eyes, and I go, oh, yeah, that's what I loved about it, too. And um, so I miss, I miss the guy. Yeah. He really inspired me.
1: Now, John, now, uh, you could have went the route of traditional biopic, where you hit all the highlights from birth, have yeah. four different actors play them. Yeah. Could have been an art house film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in the script, you decided to take a shorter period and kind of just not go down that road. Yeah.
0: I don't that? like art house movies. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> he doesn't I'm really just, like movies. I mean, you know? I'm 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 actually, kidding. this is my I'm first kidding.
0: produced screenplay, which I'm I'm not kidding. This is the first screen I've ever had produced. So I didn't have a huge, well, I think there's a, given the fact that I heard the story at 20 and I'm now 53, those are pity applause. And thank you. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, I like movies. You know, I remember having a debate with one of Trumbo's daughters in which, you know, the tone of the movie was questioned and the, sort of the scope of the movie. And, and I said, I don't know why, but I don't really want to write a movie um, that's just gonna speak to an audience that already knows the story. I want a movie that would play in Bangladesh and London and South America and, and hopefully all across the United States. And and because that he was a populist. Mm-hmm. I wasn't I was being I think true to his character. He wrote big movies, but they were also really smart, in the case of Spartacus, possibly the most subversive commercial film ever made. <laughs> since it's a giant Valentine to collective communism.
2: Um, <laughs> That's certainly, yeah. and
0: yet wildly entertaining. And so I, th- I always thought, why can't it be both? Why can't it be, you know, the way that Jay's movies, like you know, Recount and Game Chains are wildly entertaining, but they are incredibly serious.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you don't shy away from the darker pain of this movie in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But you also keep Dalton's Trumbo spirit alive. Well, you know? that
2: was for me the thing: was to be authentic to him. Yeah. I felt like it had to. Both have very high stakes and a very high personal cost, personal sacrifice. I mean, he, he risked going to jail. He knew that was a possibility. He knew he would lose his career. And, and actually, the most serious part of the film, to me, is Edward G. Robinson's mm-hmm. journey because... You see the the man who is so incredibly talented. I loved him I loved a lot of his films as a kid, and but you know is sort of slowly making this deal with the devil as he as he gets walked into in, in reality, he was called up three or four times and yeah. he didn 't finally name names until the very very last one and he had, he just held out because he, he loved all these guys that he hung out with, but he couldn 't he couldn 't write under a pseudonym or act under a pseudonym, I should say so he he had to name names. He told himself it was just to because it was the names they already have, so it wouldn't be that much of a a sellout. But it was so freaking painful to watch him do it. And I thought Michael Stuhlbard really uh, nailed the heartbreak of that. So, but to to have that and not also be able to cast Louis C.K. to play one of these smart hardline writers, you know, who in Trumbo's roast, I mean, Trumbo's memorial service, they turned it into a roast, insulting him relentlessly throughout the service, you know, and and you just thought, oh, these guys are funny, and they're genuinely witty, and if they wouldn't have been able to expose the blacklist as being so absurd and so ridiculous, if they didn't have that cutting Sarcastic edge that uh, people like Louis C.K. and Brian brought to the parts, so I thought it was more authentic that way.
1: And I thought, that, I mean, the, the scene where Dalton and Edward you confront each other was the most, to me, the, one of the most painful scenes of the movie because yeah, Dalton understands too. I was feeling like mm-hmm. he doesn't, he, he doesn't, he knows they're friends mm-hmm. and yeah. forgives them, but is also mad.
2: And they were friends in real life. Close friends, yeah, yeah and he, they did lend each other money, yeah. and, and there was
1: the in the Bruce uh, Cook the biography. Mm-hmm. There's a great forward that you wrote, and there's a line that really struck me in the forward. <laughs> uh, Washington D.C. was the hammer, and Hollywood was the willing anvil. Yeah, uh, and
0: actually, I have to sort of, I mean, uh, that, that's an... Uh, I'm paraphrasing something that actually a blacklisted writer said to me, which is Arthur Lawrence, who wrote uh, Gypsy and West Side Story, and also a movie called The Way We Were. That's what Arthur's thought about how it really worked that hmm. each needed the other to create maximum punishment.
1: Now I, I knew a lot about Blacklist but I wasn't so keen on knowing that the Writers Guild was so in collusion with uh-huh. it. like it was, a, it was an excuse uh-huh. to destroy that Did you learn it? did you did anything you didn't know like uh, like wow I can't believe this actually happened I
0: actually didn't know any of this stuff before uh-huh. I started Researching the movie at the Writers Guild Library. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's ironic. <laughs> uh, and the the degree to which the Writers Guild turned on it's by the way, Dalton Trumbull was a founding member of the Writers Guild of America.
2: And he wrote the uh, the magazine. Yeah. He was the uh, the editor yeah. for the magazine. And
0: and within within a month or two of the hearings in '47, he was out. He was yeah. told by his own guild, "You either sign a loyalty oath or you're out of yeah. the business."
2: But it is interesting. The Guild played such an interesting role because there was a battle between the Writers Guild and other writers that were more Mm -hmm. studio-friendly who formed a a guild called the Screen Playwrights. And most all of the Hollywood Ten were with the WGA and sort of drew targets on their own backs Mm -hmm. by uh, fighting so intensely for workers' rights, writers, you know, fair treatment of writers. And, uh, you know, I, I... I love that John's here and I love that this is a a great movie about a great screenwriter that that our great screenwriter is getting to kind of enjoy seeing with with audiences because the writers were the ones first thrown under the bus, you know, to make the studios look uh, more all-American. They really, uh, they formed a group called the Motion Picture Alliance for the Protection of American Ideals uh, (laughs) with people like Walt Disney and... Um, Ward Bond, Sam Wood, the Roy Brewer, John Wayne, Hedda Hopper, Ayn Rand wrote the manifesto for it. <laughs> and um they, it was pages they long. said we're the real yeah.
0: utterly unreadable.
2: They they said we're the real Americans. It was a little like Sarah Palin. <laughs> we're the real Americans right. and they had it they used Americanism as this, this buzzword. But and these writers, some of them were extremely patriotic. Dalton Trumbo was a war correspondent, like John said yeah. in the script. He he made thirty seconds over Tokyo about the James Doolittle raids. I mean, he was he was a mainstream American-loving man, loved the Constitution. Clearly, was a fighter for fundamental constitutional rights like free speech. But suddenly, he's an enemy of the state. And I think partly because they figured out if we can take the real threat of totalitarian communism, somehow tar these rabble. Browsers who are, you know, unionizing. This. I wish I could have figured out a way to use the Walt Disney testimony at Huac because it's so amazing to watch the thinking that he he really lays out this belief, a mythology that why would animators, workers who work for me, ever care so much about working safe working conditions, better wages? He said they must have been. Infiltrated by communists. They would. Why else? <laughs> why else would they be willing to go on strike for for better working conditions? And the the level of delusion that uh, people got to was f- uh, astonishing. Anyway, so there's a yeah. long history. And by the way, on our website trumbo com, I'm mm-hmm. not actually sure of the name of it. I think that is it. Yeah. Um, there were references to two great biographies, the Bruce Cook one, a new one by Larry Seppler, and tons of other real details. And it's it's an astonishing story. And it only happened just yesterday, practically, you know, like, very recently, uh, that this that people turned on each other to this It's also too
0: bad that there's nothing analogous happening in Washington today. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: We <laughs> yeah. actually learned from we this. This is why the movie the boat, is, it's you know. like, we learned from the mistakes and we fixed them. Yeah, yeah we, we don't, don't know who would... <laughs> turn, on, turn on CNN. Who would,
2: who would spend millions of dollars on a committee uh, to uh, get to the truth about something and get nowhere after uh, many countless hours of testimony? That... <laughs> wouldn't you? Uh,
1: wouldn't you uh, Remember, and actually, th- over thirty different congressional committees, all coming up with nothing. I know. Yeah, uh, yeah,
2: yeah. I, the, the resemblance between J. Parnell Thomas and, and uh, uh, Mister Trey and Gowdy is because no, someone said J-, J. Parnell Thomas comes off as such a <laughs> cartoon character. I said uh, uh, we to have, have to be careful. Of- now we're getting partisan well, that would, about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm old enough that being blacklisted. Would be a relief.
1: We, um, we,
2: yes. If there is going to be a blacklist, we will be on yes. it. <laughs> yes.
1: We'll see you guys tomorrow. Uh, so let's talk a little about Brian Cranston, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there anything that really surprised you about his performance? Like, wow, I, he really brought something different to the character than I saw originally.
0: I mean, no, because he really became the character. I uh. mean, I, I, what I was amazed by was I always felt like when we were talking about certain actors at the beginning of the process, well, we're going to have to like change this line or that line or tone this down. This is too arch or this is too, you know. And I, a lot of dialogue really is taken from from Trumbo's letters. And I kept thinking, like, if we get to the so-and-so, we're going to have to really simplify that dialogue. Brian, you could just write it exactly like Trumbo, and he just nailed it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You could see from the clip at the end, yeah. he was that theatrical. Um, that's part of we put it in, because the, the character of real Dalton <laughs> Trumbo was a debater in high yeah. school, was a practiced orator. He would stand actually on a box and uh, at, a, at a strike or something and deliver these great speeches wow. and he was that articulate but he performed the arguments he didn't just right. make the yeah. argument he performed them and Brian
0: yeah.
2: for an actor to have permission to do yeah. that uh, at mean, that I was level. I
0: remember being really worried until Brian was cast one of the things about Trumbo's kind I mean, of speech pattern is he rarely used contractions. And that can sound really weird, you know. Yeah. But he just he He's spoke so, so clearly mm-hmm. and so precise. He would Every say "cannot" word and I can't. Yeah. yeah, And exactly. Brian just, just Brian leaned into that.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite scenes, which I want to uh, point out, was the John Wayne scene. Hmm. Mm. Uh, loved it when Dalton says, "You know, where did you serve?" Oh, it's right. You're on the movie said with blanks. Yeah. And even Hedda, Hedda You know, who's our villain? if you think about it, also had that moment of like, you know, my son also served. Mm. Yeah. How was that scene for you when you were directing that scene? Because that's really a pivotal well, kind of statement. You know, of what
2: It's interesting. My father is very conservative and a very smart man, worked in the defense industry my whole life uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico for Sandia Labs. And we've... Argued most every second of our existence. Whenever we (laughs) we we, a long ago gave up on that whole thing. If you never bring up politics, we bring it up all the time, and it's always pretty fierce. And I cared about um, being true to to what he, you know, what how he would see the world. He saw he was a professionally paranoid person. He he was all about defending you know, the great country against the Russian bear and sure. believes that he and Ronald Reagan broke the back of the bear when the, you know, like he really, he believes in that stuff. And it's, it's, it's true because the, to- the threat of totalitarian communism was real. Russia was trying to bury us and had occupied all of Eastern Europe. But I also felt like it was important to have Trombo um, be able to stand up to him with the kind of, um, reality check, if you will, of, uh, and say, "Look, yes, you. I respect that, but you're. I think you're wrong, and I know you think I'm wrong, and we have the right to be wrong." It's in one of my favorite lines. That's a great line uh, yeah. in the whole piece, and. Uh, so, I mean it was terrifying to think of casting John Wayne mm. and casting Kirk Douglas and casting Edward G. Robbins because I just was scared to death we wouldn't find people but I'm really happy with the people we ended up with and I I really love watching them take that on but it was a it was a daunting scene that particular one.
1: Hedda Hopper, obviously, the position she takes, you know, which is against the constitution. It's kind of a ludicrous position, mm-hmm. but you had to make her a very real character mm-hmm. and a strong villain. How did you approach her character? Because you had to give well, her some real...
0: The, the answer to that actually will, I think, help anybody who's studying film understand what a director really does. Because when Jay Roach received the first draft of the screenplay in 2012, there was no Hedda Hopper character. Uh. <laughs> it was just John Wayne and Felton Trumbo with the two poles uh, uh, at odds. And it was Jay who said to me, oh, I love the script, I love the story. Your hero's a communist, and your antagonist is the greatest American icon of the right (laughs) ever. Pick one. (laughs) And I'd read this biography of Wayne in which there was a a wonderful chapter in which Hedda Hopper took him to task in front of the American Legion, and he apologized to Hedda Hopper. And I thought, hmm... We might just have something better here And uh, it was a pretty quick rewrite Because there was a ton of information And the only thing I remember calling Jay After about 10 days of working on I said, I think it's good, I think it's going to work I just have one issue I've never written a character Who is so unsympathetic I couldn't find anything To like Except she's not a hypocrite
2: yeah that's and she, it <laughs> and she did uh support her son joining the military. she She's was genuinely uh mm-hmm. you know um, supportive of the troops and mm-hmm. she was she cared about- she, you know and by the way, keep in mind it seems from our point of view uh, um, like you know it's so easy to to find her her position mm-hmm. sort of mockable almost but she, sixty percent of America thought we were in World War III already mm-hmm. in 1950. Mm-hmm. She had 32 million readers reading her columns, you know, and she was tapped into a true fear of uh, of an expansionist totalitarian communism. So she was just believed it was worth fighting for, and she she always the only the thing she took it so far with though was that she believed once a communist, always mm-hmm. a communist. Yeah. You're a traitor. You're never gonna. Even though these guys joined mostly out of anti-fascist sympathies, pro-union things. They had. They in those days we had been allied with a communist country in the during the war. But she and whereas John Wayne believed you could, if you just would say, "I love America," and you know, I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm sorry, sorry, or or tell tell about your affiliations, Mm -hmm. you could be rehabilitated. So he he would help people get back to work, and he was a friend of many many people on the left. So there was a big Mm -hmm. distinction Mm -hmm. between the two, and had made a better. Yeah. True nemesis for Trump. Are
1: you saying a media figure stoked a fear <laughs> in the politics? Well, uh, yeah. I, you know, again, I don't know how you guys can relate to this. I'm sorry for this. Yeah. You know, again, so I kind of-
2: it is true that in history, there's that pattern of take advantage of a fear, take advantage of something like terrorism, and say, you know, all Muslims are terrorists. Like that idea actually gets spread. And it's at, at at least as bad, uh, it's, it's a worse idea, even than all screenwriters who are lefties are communists, you know. Because that's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. But uh, that's, that, that fear is exploited perpetually in our political process, and it's a great propaganda tool. It always works, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, so you can... You can kind of take that one to the bank, unfortunately. Now,
1: did Helen right. when you worked with Helen on that? Did she have any did you guys get in sync with her character fast? Did she have to find it a little or?
2: She was pretty she just loved the hats.
1: Well <laughs> <laughs> I she's Helen Mirren. So,
2: she she know. knows how to wear hats. Have you seen her as play the queen? I mean, <laughs> she did the first
0: read-through and she was off book at the first rehearsal. Like everyone yeah, else was read through. She was off book. I remember Cranston going like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then she watched, this ran, up. Up, ran up to me and she said, and I, and I said, hi, I'm, and I got like John out and she goes Get in, I know who you are do you think that she had any weaknesses or any attributes as a person and I said I, I, I'm talking to Helen Mirren. and I can't even believe it <laughs> <laughs> and she said well I don't I'm going to play her with no weaknesses and, and very few positive attributes and I said okay <laughs> and I saw her on the set three months
2: later with <laughs> Jay okay. she, but she found she, you, yeah. you can see in interviews now yeah. she, like every great actor you yeah. can't play an actor I mean a character with, uh, with judgment you play them with being true to what, to who they are. To really understand how to portray somebody, you have to figure out what makes her tick. So I said to her, like I had said to Julianne Moore on Sarah Palin, you know, she's now your muse. Hedda mm-hmm. is your muse now, and she's my muse. I've got to learn from her and what what matters to her, and she. Uh, Man, she really mm. took it on and was... And, and I do think found complexity in, in her. I do think when she says, I would, you know, who cares about these Hollywood, rich Hollywood mm-hmm. screenwriters? If I could get one boy back from Korea, you know, I would mm-hmm. trade one of these guys career in a second. Yeah. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just playing a devil's advocate in a way because obviously we're we're, we're Trump, in Trumbo's point of view in this movie, but I always want to portray... It's, it, they're just better you know antagonists if mm-hmm. you find true strength in their actual personal mythology and and their commitment to their cause and so it was really important to me to have someone as great as she is mm-hmm. to, to play that woman
1: i had one screenwriting teacher at NYU because i took some classes i forget the name i feel bad he said always love your antagonist as a writer the more you, you love to, him the yeah. more interesting the antagonist becomes yeah. and the more the protagonist has to overcome was it
2: Lorenzo Simple?
1: It might have been, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
2: but it was just a great line. And he yeah. said, "Hate your protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Hate your protagonist. Yeah. Love your antagonist, yeah. and it becomes a much yeah. richer screenplay." Yeah, get sick of your protagonist so you can yeah. find, torture like, him and <laughs> find, yeah, <laughs> put him through horror. Uh, the congressional scene
1: was amazing. I love the way you shot the uh, you know four three newsreel style into the mm-hmm. color. Mm-hmm. Is that how you found? Is that really similar to your visual style? How you made the choice? How you That was the actually
2: shoes? John had, had in the script that there would be a transition from the old footage, but uh. it has become. Uh, for me, doing these historical films, I, I, I try to get to the authentic aspects of, of every bit of it, but I want the audience to recognize this is a construct. This is, mm. If you're counting on us to be the historical basis for your knowledge of this era, you have come to the wrong people. <laughs> you should go and read these biographies. But if you want a good story, that, and John figured out how to distill it down to a very complicated story that had hundreds of people, 13 years... And you want to try to get access to the essence of it, the, the authentic, fundamental feeling of what it was like to go through this. That we can help you with, and we can we can tell you, we can give a, give you a sense of what we think matters. Ask you to ask, you know, to ask yourselves if we're right about what matters. But I, that very transition was that we're we're. Mm-hmm. Shooting our footage, melding it with real Ronald Reagan, mm. real uh, uh, Montgomery, uh, Robert Montgomery, yeah, Robert Montgomery, and and real people and and real we we matched it, you know, very well. I thought and degraded our footage, boosted their footage, mm-hmm. married them together, and then. And then I pull the rug out from under you and say, Oh, yeah, now I'm going to push in on Brian Cranston <laughs> while he was saying, <laughs> you know, only a moron or a slave would answer that question, yes or no, and expand the edges of the frame, go into the surrounds and uh, in, this, in the audio track and pull in, put in full, beautiful, uh, you know, digital color. And I, that's my way of saying, our way of saying, it's, this is going to be authentic And we love using the real footage To transport you there But this is an actor And this is a, this is a dream This is a, a dream and, mm-hmm. and we hope it never happens again <laughs> But mm-hmm. it is a mm-hmm. you, you must experience this yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Hopping a
1: little towards the center of the movie John Goodman's character mm. I mean you know that, that's the money scene of the movie With the baseball bat Was that fun to write?
0: <laughs> I was actually just Revealed to Jay that, you know, I struggled for a couple months on the first draft Making very little headway on, on Understanding Marxism or being able to dramatize or explain CUAC and all this stuff was, It felt very heavy and thick and hard to get through And then I said, so I'm just going to jump ahead of the King Brothers And the first scene I wrote that was actually a scene Was the scene of the baseball bat And that literally gave me enough confidence to write one more scene One more scene, one more scene uh, it was tremendously fun to write, it and was I had so a, fun to shoot. Oh my god!
1: One. And the great line—it's not about him standing up for communism or rights. It's no. like, you're Taking away. Uh, well, and he
2: was—he's—he's uh, he's such a great accidental hero. He mm-hmm. didn't seek, you know, some sort of—I uh, don't know—opportunity to to break the blacklist. But he had a big part in that, yeah. and uh, just by giving those guys work, they were starving. I mean, they were. Trumbo got off lucky, but those writers he helped. They were as like our unheard living in, that, in the apartment building. You can see. I mean, that was very realistic. Those guys were struggling mm-hmm. to just make ends meet, and he gave them uh, a way to work. And you showed
1: yeah. it visually. Him just having dinner in public with Dalton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just that alone. I yeah. don't know if you always yeah. picked that up. Like that was very yeah. dangerous mm-hmm. for uh, him. He,
2: he was he was probably Red Channels probably published the name because it was known that yeah. He, but nobody they're, goes they're, to his movies can read. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Didn't yeah he didn't care. <laughs> now, John. Now,
1: one of the things I also love was the family, mm-hmm. especially the relationship with Ella mm-hmm. and Nicola. Mm-hmm. How did you kind of graph that? Was it a, a story accounts? That's, How did you? That's
0: part two of what a, a great director does. <laughs> is is that is that it was sketched in in the script. But it was Jay who said to me, and and this probably terrified me more than anything anyone's ever said to me I want you to go, I want us to go meet the two sisters, Nikki Trumbo and and, and Mitzi Trumbo. And um, I was so nervous going to meet uh, Nikki. Jay was busy that weekend. I went up alone to meet Nikki, who's played by Elle Fanning in the movie, that I actually packed a bag that I pretended to have like research notes in it. It had four spare t shirts. (laughs) As <laughs> the first half an hour, I was just sweating because I was so nervous. And I kept going to the bathroom and changing my T-shirt. Um, but it was absolutely invaluable. It's one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. Not only professionally, but personally, because Nikki and I are such close friends now.
2: We're really and I, had, friends. I had the same experience yeah. with Mitzi, yeah. um, and both of them challenged us. And this, I yeah. would say, is, if I don't like giving advice, because I definitely don't know... What advice is worth giving but, but I do have faith in this process And I, I picked it up from doing recount And game change That the minute you begin to talk to the the people Who have actually experienced something As much as you, you have a great imaginative screenwriter There are going to be some details mm-hmm. That are going to blow your mind That are better than anything That could have been invented And we, just to get to an authentic The, the, the details, the texture of things You know, she Mitzi told us what it felt like to be in this house of secrets and being terrified of, of uh, slipping up and answering uh, the wrong phone with the wrong name or, um, or talking at school about what your father did for a living. And those details, the texture of it... And in her case, she also said, I think you're underemphasizing how much the writers themselves had to do with breaking the blacklist. Mm-hmm. They formed a kind of Ocean's Eleven heist movie kind of thing <laughs> mm-hmm. and the family was part of it and we, we were there and we helped uh, keep that going by, by, by being the secretaries and the couriers and the phone answerers for my father to deal with everybody else's scripts, uh, all the notes from different studios, yeah. Yeah. different producers different actors uh, you know, it was, it was insane and it just got more real uh, and she also helped with the whole Kirk Douglas auto Preminger thing to just get our focus on it. That there was a very, very, very brave thing that Kirk did to, by mm-hmm. risking everything. Mm-hmm. He, his company, the money he had in the film, to put. But that also Preminger had taken a risk as well by coming out and putting um, Dalton's name in in the New York Times, uh, you know, a few months earlier. And, and
1: what about Fanning? I mean, she's so young, but she kept up with Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. So how was that experience working with the two of them?
2: That's uh, awesome. I How mean, it was it was at rehearsals. You can see it. She, <laughs> they just the had the I'll tell you a funny story yeah, about please. her rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. She revealed to me because I have I sometimes I notice actors sometimes when they're either trying to emote or I don't know focus them they their eyes get busy like too mm. busy and they I learned this from Michael Caine working with him on Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. You when you blink if you're in a scene and you're in a giant close up and you're just trying to nail the line and have it land. If you're blinking at the end of the shot right before the cut, you probably are losing a little performance power. Hmm. And so he has uh, Hank Azaria to imitate him. Don't blink. You know. You don't. <laughs> so I went to Elle Fanning and I said, I, you never blink. And she says, oh yeah, you caught me. You know about that. I said, what, she goes. I have never lost a stare a blinking contest. <laughs> and so she proceeded to out unblink every single crew member. On, just, and uh, at one point, I finally said, "You know, you should blink once in a while because it's just creepy." <laughs> you I might, wanna, you line, might I know. Really? I've never told that story before. Oh, but she is. She was so strong and so determined to hold her own and be true to Nikki, who she got to know because Nikki is. Feisty, man, mm-hmm. she's a strong mm-hmm. woman. She's a shrink. You yep. know, she oh, she went yeah. through that, and that was her life choice after surviving drinking <laughs> her off. dad. And uh... Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, no, and Elle is Elle is just oh, she's so she's got so much heart and soul, and it's just all right there for the audience. You know, all the time. She's a really a superstar. And you know who else I love, who's now I predict is going to be a star, is Madison Wolf, who plays Young. Nikki, mm-hmm. she, she, just yeah. she just got a lead. She just got a lead role. I used her in uh, the campaign as Will Ferrell's daughter as well. And she was, um, she was the daughter. Was she Woody Harrelson's daughter or or McConaughey's daughter in True Detective? Harrelson's. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. she's like she's the uh, new, you know the new. new I think you Watch out for Madison Wolf because that, uh, that girl's girl is going to.
1: Now one it. scene that w- the most painful thing, actually, the hardest scene for me was the scene where Dalton and Arlen fight. Hmm. And the next one, he's not, he dies and Dalton finds out. How was that? Was that generally your part of the script or you like you had to have real personal costs to one well, of the script? Well, I have heard
0: are? you know, is, a, is a composite of uh, about five it. different writers who all were to the left of Trumbo, Trumbo yeah. even. And that was sort of um, that was sketched in in a draft. And we were about to shoot. We were like four days away from shooting. And Brian Cranston wants to have a meeting with us. He says, I just have this idea that we have to have someone who's even way to the left of me. And I said, well, you know, kind of like the Arlen Hurt character. He goes, like, but it's got to be even more. And we just cast Louis C.K. We just landed Louis C.K. <laughs> and I thought to myself, we're going to start rehearsals on Monday. It's a Thursday. I think Brian's totally right, and Jay agreed as well. But it means I've got to rewrite all of Louis C.K.'s dialogue before the first day of rehearsal. And he may read it and go, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I think it was a great, great note. I'll never forget that meeting. Brian made an impassioned plea to sort of have a left wing head of Hopper. And that's kind of the oh. he became, in a way. And so that argument really was a natural
2: evolution of that character's change. He knew that someone had to bust Trumbo for yeah. being a hypocrite. Right. For, yes. being, for being, having, being so eager to make money, so eager. To be successful, so we could win awards. To not have that be called out by somebody uh, would have seemed like we were trying to—I don't know—just elevate Trumbo right. too much. Right. And and that was a great, great note. So
0: to rare you get a note from an actor saying, "Create a character who makes me look worse." But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: well, yeah. that's Brian. And tr- and we knew Louis C.K. because it was based on some of the funniest guys. You know, and yeah. I, I, you should hear them talk. There is—you can get online the tape recording of Trumbo's memorial service, and these guys are just insulting him and roasting him, and they were really funny, really militant guys, and the, the stereotype of these hardline left-wing guys was that they were humorless, and uh, so to cast Louis C.K. To, to pay, to, to honor their wit, you know, uh, and as he's trashing, well, I like when he's talking <laughs> talking to him about the alien and the farm girl and the, the, <laughs> the girl with the bug head back home, you know, uh, just that... <laughs> <laughs> Only Louis C.K. could make that you know as rich and memorable. Yeah, I agree.
1: I uh, agree. One thing that, uh, if you ever read the biography, their love story. It yeah. is the most fascinating. Please read the biography and see yeah. how they courted each other. Yeah. It was the most fascinating thing I've ever read. Was that, you know, but how'd you approach the love story? Because you had to cut a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. That was really painful there was one scene. Because we now. shot the scene yeah. where she told that story. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, it. yeah. Um, do you well, want to tell it really quick? Yeah, I mean, he, Dalton Trumbo went to a, a, hamb- a, a drive-in hamburger place. With car hops. With car hops. And one of the car hops was a young Cleo Fincher on her skates, juggling multiple glasses classes yeah. and all that stuff. And he said to her the first night, I'm going to marry you. And she said, you're insane. And he came back every night and would leave these 200% tips for her, <laughs> which she saved for a year until they finally did get married um, but I'm jumping ahead a bit the, the real story is she, she had a boyfriend she married him
2: who Trum- he, he married he asked her to marry him because he was jealous of right, Trumbo right of Trumbo
0: so Trumbo rather than doing what any of us would do which is give up hires a private eye to look into who this guy really is, finds out he's already married. He's now bigamist. So he tells Cleo this, and that's when they really fall in love as her marriage
2: is being dissolved. That's a passionate dude. That's... that's that's and, a man that going to get what of, he wants. It's that the
1: same <laughs> thing, Jay? You would love to put that in the movie, but it would have thrown it off. Well,
2: it would have yeah. been a whole long. It would yeah. have been much. It would have been such an emphasis on the relationship that it would have been tough to find screen time to tell the the, the larger battle story and. It probably would have been fun okay. to have another 20 minutes to tell yeah. their courtship, but, actually, but we just didn't I have it. I think there's two things, the reasons the, the scene got cut. Well, the scene was just exposition, because she just talked about exactly. it. Right. Yeah. She just, exactly. If we'd been able to play make out it, the whole courtship, yeah. that would have been right. great.
0: Or if somehow I'd been able to make it about a conflict. You know, If the scene doesn't have conflict, it's generally not going to survive the first time.
2: In the scene that got cut, yeah. she's um, driving in the car from yeah. the airports where they've just left him to go off to jail. And... Uh, she tells the story to cheer up the kids because uh-huh. uh, the kids are so de- de- bombed, and, uh, and she, Diane Lane, did this beautiful so job. Good. It was such a great oh. scene. And I could just, I don't know, we could just sort of feel when we showed it that people were just, it, because it was, it, we couldn't show it. We had to tell it. It was not cinematic as other, much as we wanted. The other
0: to problem be. with the scene, I think, and I only no- no- noticed this when I saw the cut with you, was she's telling the kids in the audience. This guy is unbeatable. And the story is so good that you say, Jail's gonna be a bump of the road to this guy. Oh, yeah. You take yeah. the scene out and the family's sad and that wonderful shot in the movie and suddenly jail is scary. Yeah. And that's There's where suspense, it, you're always yeah. learning about narrative. You never yeah. stop learning about narrative.
1: Now John, yeah. be honest. Jay will never hear this. <laughs> Did he treat you like Otter Preminger? On Christmas morning, at any time during this process.
0: Far worse. Far worse. No, 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 I mean.
2: I I was constantly calling him and saying, okay. I know you think this scene is great but um, there might be something else here that we can try <laughs> that did happen no, there was I never said <laughs> it's simply ask genius <laughs> <You> know, that's, <laughs> that's my feels, favorite line that's a, that's <laughs> an oh honest, my God. that
0: is a word for word actual exchange between Preminger and, and Trumbo that I, I saw in a documentary
2: Trumbo really did say but if it's genius all the way through it'll be monotonous and he really did yeah. say I'll tell you what uh, you write unevenly uh, or you, you write mean, it all uh, genius and I'll make it uneven in I,
1: I mean <laughs>
0: We, we had a, we had a, 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 Jay and I had and have a relationship that is so boringly wonderful. There's no drama.
2: It's kind of rare for yeah. directors to have the writers on set all yeah. the time. Yeah. Uh, John was on, not only in prep all the time, in casting. You didn't come to the casting, but he was involved in every casting choice and also on set to. Give notes when, he, when something was weird. And for me to turn and say, What do you think? There's something, mm-hmm. something missing here. And he would have a thought about that. And then in cutting and even marketing. And I mean, it, I, I, uh, I love screenwriters, and I do honestly, I'm not being facetious or modest to say, I, I don't understand the film business that screenwriters are not uh, elevated to a higher level in the overall process. It's, it's, it, it's partly because the studios figured out a way to own the copyright uh, from the get-go. Directors became the people who could sort of handle the stars because the studios couldn't. And so they had to empower directors. And my own guild, the DGA, is really good at hmm. <laughs> you know, cl- uh, <laughs> marshalling that clout. But I do think something happened along the way where screenwriters were uh, became sometimes treated like disposable, you know, like workers for hire. And it's, it's, it's nothing like in theater or tele- in television, thank God. John is king of his shows. He's the king. They they are scared to death of John on those shows. But the
0: great thing about, I'm not king. I'm maybe a duke um, at best. <laughs> and at home, I'm a serf, but we got married. <laughs> um, but it was great, though, because I was running a TV show called Aquarius at the time we were prepping... So this was one day where Jay was in my office at Paramount and something was going horribly wrong in prep I'm for him sorry, yeah. and oh. something was going horribly wrong in prep with me and we're both on the phone kind of like being, kind of just yelling at people. And Yeah, not yelling but, And Jay just even slightly raises his voice And I said to Jay I'm Frank King I've turned into Frank King And Jay goes, good yeah. But you know, it really was An amazing relationship Because um, I don't think either one of us Wanted the other guy's job i didn 't want to direct this movie i don 't think you really wanted to like write every every draft no, of it, no. but you neither one of us was shy about saying, "What about this? What about that you know and, and, and the, f- the most fun day of my life as a writer, Barnon, was the day that we were uh, doing something in Aquarius had gone horribly wrong, and you know we're dealing with that. And I get a phone call. It's Jay Roche going to talk to you. I go to the phone. I'm like, "Hey, Jay, what's up?" And so we're, we're shooting the scene tomorrow. It's a new idea. We want to have like David James Elliott play John Wayne in a fake John Wayne war movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I That's said, it. "Well, when does it shoot again?" He goes, "Tomorrow."
1: <laughs>
0: and I said, "I have to write the scene today." He goes, "Yeah." And I said, "Okay." So he sent me this great footage from a Randall Scott movie called Gung Ho. And I had to match the dialogue to this action.
2: We couldn't get the rights to y- anything. We would have if yeah. we were done, but we But
0: couldn't. man, that was so fun. I remember calling David James Elliott and reading the dialogue over the phone, and he's like, this is so fun. I'm going to be in a John Wayne movie. <laughs> and that was the relationship. Was a, just I waited like, until after yeah. Christmas, though. Yes, that's,
1: Christmas. True. that's true. Essentially, we've interviewed a few others, and Alan Ball we just interviewed, and it yeah. seems like whenever the writer and director work together closely... The movie just flows better. Why wouldn't
2: you want to do you that? Know, you know, I'm always envious of people like the Coen brothers. Why yeah. wouldn't you want a creative buddy? Yeah. You know uh, who? You know who's focused on one aspect of, it and I'm focused on. It. But there's so much overlap on what you're focused on that. Yeah. You know why not have the writer around? all the time. I mean, I, I always do. I mean it, it partly comes from comedy, because in comedy, the writers are always around, and you need, you need people riffing off the actors, and sure. they're always throwing in jokes at the last minute, and it's chaotic, and directors don't like the lack of control that comes with it, because if the writer's there and the actors see the writer, have an opinion, they might, you know, go to the writer and say, what do you think? And then the director suddenly feels like, oh, no, I've lost my soul, power, voice on the... But that... That collaboration... Is rich. I mean, it's as long as the director. I still have to decide, and on my thing, mm-hmm. I have to decide. On his TV show, he gets to decide, but someone has to decide. So I have to say, John, that's right, awesome. Exactly. but I, I'm going to do it this way because I know yep. Brian's going to make it better this right, way, and right. I, and and we're improvising. And I know they're butchering your lines, but let them run for a little while, and then we'll scale it back and get the the script it takes as well. But they might have something. A lot of the Louis C.K. stuff. Well, I and mean, exactly. yeah. I
1: mean, it must be good for the actor too, having John. Like you know what? Oh, of course. I need this, or <laughs> can this? Can I? Can <laughs> Can you I'll help never, me?
0: I'll never forget in rehearsal, like you know, because Louis is a wonderful writer, and and at one point we were just getting to know each other for a day or two, and and he had sort of scribbled a line in his in script, and I said, "Do you mind if I change this line?" And I said. You're Louis (laughs) (laughs) C.K., and I'm going to get credit for it. (laughs) And actually, the line was, must you say everything like it's going to be chiseled in in a rock? That's Louis' line. (laughs) 100%. 100%. As are several others. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. All right, so, uh, Jay, uh, this is not your first tackling of uh, a character that rebels against society. Hmm. And, you know, Austin stands Powers. up for what it would be. Austin of course Powers. I'm referring to Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah. uh, so how was it for you, like doing something outrageous comedy? You know, did that set you up for this? Were you able to kind of...
2: I was a serious person before I got to do Austin Powers. The Austin Powers was my first film, and um, I actually had been working on a bizarre art film about the psychology of evil and... Uh, um, Adolf Hitler as a like, weird art film Fred Elms mm-hmm. shot it um, uh, Joel, Joel Grey played Goebbels, it was like this most <laughs> oh, crazy <wow>. pretentious <laughs> film about about um, the rise of the Third Reich and the aesthetic of Nazi Germany and, and the psychology of evil Mike Myers saw that it was very, it was it couldn't be less funny. It was so, <laughs> I don't think I think Spring springtime for Hitler nailed it. one day in, uh, in the producers because it was the definition of just you know it was it was so pretentious and so serious. And I didn't I didn't direct it. I just wrote on it and helped produce it and shot some of the second unit stuff or something. I don't know. But when I met Mike Myers, he. He's a history nut, and he saw that film and said, "Oh, you got to, you got to do this film. Like you got to do Austin Power And I was, I don't know how he got to that, but and I, I swear there's no, uh, there's no hidden uh, fascism in, except Doctor Evil does have sharp, pointy, spearsian uh, shapes in his, in his lair. But, um, but it, I was serious, and I, I. I have always been interested in serious ideas, and so the comedy thing was actually a diversion, a very enjoyable, very well paying diversion for uh, a number of years. I still love doing them, uh, and I, I, we have plans to do other comedies, maybe even a, another Austin powers someday, but yes Yay. But, uh, Yay. Uh, yes. well but i I must say they 're very hard, much harder to me than drama because everyone thinks they know what's funny and almost never do until you show it to the audience and it's very uh, neurosis-producing and good for the shrink industry in Los Angeles. (laughs) But I also just... I like making... I like telling stories that raise the, the questions about how then shall we live? We don't get along. Our government doesn't work the way we want it to. Our civilization is set up in a way that seems like it could be better, you know, after all, you know, where are the Abe Lincolns and the Thomas Jeffersons and the and the, the great leaders of our past? This is this is where we are. What how, what's up with that? You know, mm-hmm. I like making films that ask questions and not polit- not because they're political because they're about the characters. I, when I saw Sarah Palin's show, you know, they chose her to be vice president. I went, whoa, what, <laughs> how, what would it be like to be in that room? And someone said, I got it. Let's have Sarah Palin be the vice president. And someone else said, who, what, why? And someone else sold that idea, convinced them that it was a good idea it works for a while kind of amazingly well she gives speeches and then then it all starts to go oh no she doesn't she's not set up for this she doesn't really equipped and prepared for this i thought being in that room to mm-hmm. would would be an amazing set of questions one could raise about the political process so i don't i just like the stories of the characters stuck in these p- predicaments. The politics just makes it easy to have a a wider predicament Mm -hmm. but the joy is make in in case of Trombo too is this guy was just a guy who's talented and had to figure out a way to to keep working. And his family was in on it. And mm-hmm. the, the the rest of the political thing just became
1: the irony. Like a lot of his positions are kind of what the Democrats are now, the Bernie Sanders, like the unions, and you know, and it's not really communism. Well, in our sense,
2: you, I mean, I, I'll just say really quick, yeah. he, he yeah. was a communist. Yeah. He joined he joined the Communist Party in 1943. Yeah. We were allied with a communist country. FDR had already. Uh, influence Hollywood to make at least two films that made Russia seem like a more interesting place to, to live. <laughs> not, They weren't some secret uh, propaganda films. They were overt propaganda films They're to convince Americans. They were not very good. So it was also just like good movies. And yeah. fascism, the rise of fascism, the Communist Party of the United States was not affiliated with, at that time, was not uh, it had a, actually a plank in their platform to not be about violent revolution, but right. to be about political. So, for him, these were all his, a lot of, I think all of his friends were in some way tangled up in left-wing causes, pro-civil rights, pro-union, uh, anti-fascism, anti-runaway capitalism that had caused the Great Depression. They were unified, and he, he said, I, felt, I started feeling like I was on, flying under false colors to mm-hmm. not join my friends who were tangled up in this. By, by the 50s, he's, he is understanding that there is a certain amount of... Uh, you can't get away from the fact that the Communist Party is, is connected to the totalitarian Communist uh, regime, And he got that, and he never publicly uh, mm-hmm. repudiated no. the Communist Party, but he, he stopped being involved. So, yeah, it is. he described it as being, we were mostly just interested in democratic politics. We weren't interested in, in Stalinist. discussion.
0: As, as, a, as a person, if you look at him through the wide angle of his life from forty-seven until his death, he was a radical, period. He was just going to be the most radical he could be within a system that he actually loved he loved yeah. democracy but he felt it needed the constant prodding questioning occasional you know
2: strikes of radicals, I would call him a dissenter more yeah. more than because they, you yeah. know, radical does imply someone who's sort of looking for a radical overthrow. He wasn't even interested in a, in that big of an overthrow. Yeah. He was more of a socialist yeah. uh, dissenter, and he just thought yeah. dissent was American, and I have a right to dissent, and you don't have a right to ask me whether I. But some of the I,
1: criticism that are going on today, and even this political cycle. Mm-hmm. You know about unions and mm-hmm. you know and stuff like that. So it's coming right back.
2: Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. all the, It's always the same. And the the tool of calling someone a socialist is just a tried and true. Uh, you know, you can pretty much, uh, you know, de- de- try to delegitimize any operation by by uh, calling someone a socialist. That happens all the time. All
1: right, we end our show with always the same question for our guests. Uh, Can you tell us about a movie theater experience you had Perhaps as a child Your favorite movie with your father, your parents Mm. Family that might have inspired you Or just made you love movies
0: Planet of the Apes (laughs) My dad 1968, summer I was far too young to be able to see that movie I was six Um, And it just Thrilled and terrified me And I just loved it And to this day I love that movie I, and it's also, by the way, it's written by Michael Wilson, who's a blacklisted writer. Yeah, And it's um, kind of a also weird social. Didn't he write of uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Every movie I saw as a kid, I saw at a drive-in. My parents so, were please. not well off. We had, had, four kids. We all had a, a Ford Country Sedan. And my dad, watching my dad laugh at a movie called um, *Mad Mad Mad*, it's a *Mad Mad Mad*, Mad I love world. Love movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was a serious kid, and I did. We did argue all the time, but to laugh together about one thing, that to have laughter in common did definitely influence uh, my later joy making comedies when I did. It's just, it's nothing, there's nothing more equalizing and leveling than being in a crowd of people just losing their minds. I, I will say, we, we achieved that a few times on some of the films I did, but the only film I've been involved in, where I saw anyone laugh as hard as my dad used to laugh at, that, at the drive-in, was I produced Borat, And uh, when Sasha, (laughs) Sasha, we were—I worked on that for years with Sasha, trying to crack the story and figure it all out. But he told me when we first met that he was going to do a fight where he and the opponent were naked. (laughs) And I, I was like, "All right, if that's yeah, okay." And watching people. Lose their minds uh, when he when they start fighting and they're naked. It's one thing, and then it just escalates. They go, they they start smashing each other into the mirror. Then they go into the run down the hall naked, go into the elevator, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, these are naked men!" And then they you reveal there's another guy in the elevator that you didn't even know was there. I was freaked out. Then they run into the lobby of the hotel, and it people stopped breathing there were there was so much we filmed a couple of uh, we filmed we had this idea of doing commercials by using infrared cameras or night vision cameras to film audiences reacting mm-hmm. oh, and it was so terrifying because people were going rah, rah. they were like this lady pulled her shirt over her head and they saw her bra uh, to i was at a screening once where where two guys ran down the aisle. If there was a center aisle, imagine two guys running down the aisle, going up in the front of the screen, and then running back and high-fiving the audience in the, in the middle of a in the middle of a regular theater screening. I have never so so I it becomes so addictive and mm-hmm. so uh, so it's so supernatural, but it bonds people. Like nothing else, and we saw it all around the world. And that one, that one scene uh, got as close to it's a mad, mad, mad world. <laughs> I, uh, so I, didn't even, I didn't for even your direct dad. it. Yeah, that that's was that for your yeah. dad. My dad hated that scene, <laughs> <laughs> he thought it was too profane. So, so funny. I, that's so funny you mentioned that because I forgot he really hated that
1: scene. <laughs> well, I just got to say, uh, thank you so much for making such a wonderful film. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.